This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho. Today we have Dahlia from Sports and Ortho. Hi, Dahlia. Hey, Vince. How are you doing? Welcome back. It's been a while. We wanted to talk about a couple things here before we get started on the podcast. Number one, uh, you have a new location. We do. We have our Saganash location. So all you Northsiders, you have a new place for rehab and ortho. There are eight locations across the Chicagoland area, so if you go to sportsandortho.net, you can find your location that's close to you. And one of the other things, speaking of locations, if you're a city employee and you get hurt, you have the option to request sports and ortho when you're being assigned some physical therapy, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can always choose us. We're on the city plan, so... Um you know, if you want to come to us, we are happy to see you. Yeah, you're not locked into whoever they send you to. You can always make a request to go to a better facility if you'd like. And Sports and Ortho is a good alternative. We think so. Welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. We have three ladies in here, which I believe this is the first time in Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast history that I've ever been outnumbered like this. You may have heard from uh, a previous episode with Shield 23, uh, Shannon from Shield 23, and we'll get into that as well. But uh, we have uh, Shannon here, and I'm going to have Shannon kind of explain Shield 23 and kind of uh, introduce her her uh, co-hosts for today. So Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And just let everybody, refresh everybody's mind about what Shield 23 is and, and what you guys do. Well, first, thank you so much for having me back and for taking us to this next chapter in the story. Shield 23 Foundation was founded in 2018 in memory of my late husband, firefighter paramedic Russ Constantino. He was a firefighter for 20 years uh, with Gurney, Illinois. And in 2007, he came off shift and had a grand mal seizure. And that's how we found out that he had cancer. Um, he unfortunately passed away in November of 2009. And the foundation was founded in order to raise funds for firefighters with cancer and to give funds to firefighters with cancer. He had a two-year battle? Two and a half. After he passed, what really sparked you to, okay, my husband passed, and during this grieving period, you decided, I need to start a foundation, I need to help. Like, what was that? Because uh, I don't think we got into that in our last podcast. And I'd kind of been thinking about, you're supposed to be in this grieving process. You're supposed to go through the stages, but instead you decide, I need to start a foundation. What was what was that like? Well, I will say that the first years, um, I was pretty much in survival mode. I had two kids who lost their father at the ages of Lauren was 10 and Ryan was 14, and Russ was only 46 when he passed away. I was 44. And so I had two kids to raise, a house to take care of, um, a business to run. I was self-employed. 
And so that was pretty much my focus. Um, then Ryan actually came to me uh, a number of years later. And so Russ passed in 09, so it was almost eight or nine years. Before. Oh, okay. So this yeah. wasn't immediate. No. Okay. So I had a, a lot to do uh, just to, to kind of How old was Ryan when, when you guys decided to start this? And it, this was his kind of push? Yeah, we had talked about it a little bit. I had thought, you know, what do we do to, to honor Russ? Um, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what made sense. There's a lot of different charities and things out there. So we hadn't quite found it. I was pretty busy. And so um, it's, so we were founded in 2018. So we're coming up on our five year anniversary next year. Fittingly enough, 2023 goes with our number. <laughs> Perfect. We thought that was cool. Um, so yeah, he uh, ready. And we talked about well, what would be the focus. And right around that same time, and, and Ryan's been in the fire service since he was 17. And so word was kind of coming out about the uh, <coughs> risk of cancer in the fire service. And so, <coughs> excuse me. And so that became our focus to how do we help other firefighters and their families with cancer. And that was really the emphasis, too, um, that we wanted to make sure we took care of the families because we knew what that was like ourselves and not just the firefighters themselves. So, yeah, we kind of put it all together. I had a great number of friends who are still on our board, many of them. And uh, we have gifted over, let's see, I think we're over $40,000 now in the last two and a half years with two more giftings pending. Mm-hmm. When you were on here last time, it wasn't just giving money to, you, you guys weren't just gifting and that was it, move on to the next one. Right. You guys had so much more just based on your own personal experience, like how to handle the estate, how to do the will and all that stuff. You guys mm-hmm. got into that, which I thought had to be an even more beneficial aspect of Shield 23 than just giving money. Yeah, we, we've really been focusing on two more mission pillars of the organization, one being education. So, yes, making sure that the public understands what the risk of cancer is in the fire service and then also making sure that our recipients and the families that we work with understand some of the details. Um, My son just turned 27. He's a full-time firefighter paramedic in Wakanda in Lake County, and I think he becomes a really good model and example of how, you know, at 18, I have both my kids getting wills, and so um, other people would think that's kind of strange, but they know what that means. They, um, they understand the importance. They understand the importance of life insurance and wills. And so talking to other young firefighters um, when we're out at different departments, it's quite interesting to try to convince them, hey, the, you know, got to get things taken care of. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually guilty of that uh-huh. as well. So <laughs> I think you got to give me a talking to. <laughs> I will. And so will these other two ladies. <laughs> right. I, uh, I'm so outnumbered here. So let's introduce the, the rest of your gang here. Yeah. So I have Jenny Barr, and she, I'm going to let her tell a little bit about her story. But what's unique about Jenny is she's also a firefighter paramedic, and so she could give us that perspective. And she's out of Itasca. And then we have Sarah Bannock, who is from Oswego. Her husband is with Oswego, and I'll let them each tell their okay. story. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll start with Jen, and then uh, we'll work our way to Sarah. So, Jen, I, I was hearing a little bit of your story while I was getting set up. And I was like, we got to dive into this. <laughs> we, have, we have to dive into this. But you are currently full-time at Itasca. But 
that was not just as cut and dry. <laughs> it, it was not. As somebody was, just saying, yeah, I'm a full-timer at that task. Yeah, I'm, I was a planner, and this was not my plan. But, you know, God had different, uh, you know, an idea for us. And um, I'm so grateful that Dave knew me well enough because I was done with the fire service when he was diagnosed. And he was diagnosed uh, when he was 32 with a sarcoma. And three MRIs, and people just didn't believe he had a sarcoma at his age. And sarcomas let's, are very... Let's move you in here. Sorry. That's okay. Sarcomas are um, very deadly cancers. So he was diagnosed and given a 20% chance of living um, a year and a 5% chance of living five years, and he lived six and a half years. What, so, what was... And I only say this for people who... Like, what was the indications that finally got you guys to, we got to get this checked out? Yeah, he had, um, he was full-time with Rosemont. He was a firefighter, police officer, paramedic, because they're public safety. And he had hernia surgery at the end of January of 98. And he had this, like, lump on his left thigh. And I'm like, you know, you're a paramedic. What are you, an idiot? It's a, it's a blood clot. We went to the doctor, and they're like, yeah, it's just deep hematoma. And they kept misdiagnosing, and mis- and they did an MRI. And they're like, well, let's do another one. And finally, we went to a doctor and said, he said, yeah, he goes, it's a sarcoma. And they wanted to immediately amputate his leg. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was lucky enough. I was working did for... Did he have any other symptoms? None. Just, he just had that mass. He just had this mass in his leg. It was just, it was a painful mass. And at the time, I was working for a pediatric allergist whose associate, her husband was doing his uh, like internship with an oncologist who specialized in sarcomas. So when I told them what was going on, she's like, you have to go see this doctor. And went and saw him like the following week, and he's like, listen, it's going to be a crappy year, but I'm, you're going to live, and you were not taking your leg. So a lot of surgeries, a lot of chemo, a lot of radiation. I mean, he was like diagnosed on a Tuesday, and the following Wednesday he was already starting chemo. So it, it – was localized to there it hadn't spread it hadn't gotten it had not so it was attached to his femoral artery Ugh. so they had to take his femoral vein from one leg graft it um and then well they first tried like almost uh radiation and they did chemo through his femoral artery to kill the tumor well as the tumor was being killed it hemorrhaged so it became very painful so they wanted to do he's just basically bleeding into his leg he was bleeding into his leg yeah, so they wanted to do three treatments, and after two treatments, you know, my husband never complained. I'm sure as your husband's never did, never complained, never did the why me, just, you know, um, and they finally did the surgery, and then radiation, more chemo. He was off work for nine months and went back to work. Stayed cancer-free for a while, and then we'd get the, like, these little berries in his lung, and they'd go and they'd take it out. Then he'd find it in his scapula, so then they took part of his scapula out. And they found it in his hip. And then, you know, eventually um, they found some in his lung. They were going to do chemo again, and he had a seizure. And that's when it went to his brain. And then it metastasized to his lung. So um, he, right before his 40th birthday, he passed away in October of '04. So, yeah, and he wanted me, you know, as his disease progressed, he's like, you got to go back to work. And I'm like, what do you mean? At Rosemont, when he got diagnosed and he had to go, so you have to be off for a while. How, did the department take care of him? It's whatever. Rosemont, I don't think we could have ever gotten through this without the support financially, emotionally. Um, these guys were, I, I mean, they were always at our house. They were constantly checking on him. 
financially, my husband was off work for nine months, and I had a paycheck brought to my house every two weeks, no questions asked. And at one point, they were actually going to cancel our life, uh, his health insurance, because he had maxed out because it was so expensive. And Mayor Stevens says you're not canceling it. That's awesome to hear. It it was they were so amazing from the minute he was diagnosed to I mean his funeral. I never planned his funeral. I, I didn't I didn't do anything. These guys embraced us and still have to this day. So it wasn't just the guys at the firehouse that rallied around him. Like it was our it, entire community. Because here I was amazing. a full time firefighter. I was off probation one month when he passed away. Um, you know, I mean he he pinned my we have a new chief and he's like, What's the best day of your career? And I'm like my husband pinned my badge. It was like my best day and it was my worst day because I knew he was pinning my badge because he was never going to be around to watch me with my career. But to have him pin my badge on me was, was how, how just was so amazing. How was he feeling at that point? My husband worked um, on Friday, October 1st and passed away Sunday morning. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Took my daughter. My daughter was eight years old when he passed away and um, she was 20, 22 months old when he was diagnosed. So... Uh, drove her to school on the scooter, and the guys are calling me like, "You got, you got to tell him to stop this." I'm like, "You tell him to stop <laughs> it," but they were. He'd fall asleep at the desk, and they would just they'd leave him. They'd go get him soup. They, I mean, I can't say enough. They were just so amazing to us, so amazing. And then, you know, the support even after he passed away, they just embraced my daughter and myself, and it, they've they've been amazing. And my department too, you know, my chief, my my guys on my shift. Well, that, that's the other part of this is, <laughs> yes. yeah, th- it was great. His guys rally around him, the village rally around him. But you ha- you, you're basically going through the same thing, and your department needs to take care of you too. That you, yeah. Itasca took good Itasca care of you. Itasca was amazing. Um, the men I work with are, they were great. I mean, they supported me. On my worst days, they knew when I was having a bad day. Those anniversaries that really kind of don't mean anything to, to anyone except us now. Um, they knew my bad days. One of my one of my first calls was, my husband was thirty nine. Was a thirty nine year old man that died, and I'm, I'm, and the guys are just like, just let her go, let let her get the emotions out and everything. And they've just, they've been so supportive. You know, the people I work with, my chief. I mean, I had a dog, two birds, two you know, two geckos, hermit crabs, all this. My chief let me bring my dog to the firehouse, and then my dog's depressed. What do you do with an eight year old? So they were just. They were, they were all beyond supportive. I was very lucky. I never worried about financial because um, even when he didn't work, there was a paycheck coming in. Um, we were also very smart, and we got life insurance on our own um, probably a year before he was diagnosed. So we were Just we were coincidentally? My cousin was working for an insurance company, and she's like, just get life insurance. She I'm talked like, you into it, huh? She talked us into it. Wow. So we were very lucky, and, you know, um, He's going to be gone. He's going to be gone 18 years, and I'm I'm hitting my last year at the firehouse, and and I I think I'm I'm done. I already have one pension from another apartment, and <laughs> you kind of glossed over the part about you leaving and then having to come back and then having you test back in. Yeah. And how old were you when you had to test back in? 35. And like CPAT and everything. Back then, no. No? Okay. So we did the physical agility. We did the written test. Um, but my department was getting rid of the contract medics and hiring nine. <clears throat> That's right. You guys were we did. Metro they, or something? Or uh, they, we were. I think we were Metro. Okay. And then they hired us. They called us the Nasty Nine. 
um, and they hired nine paramedics and huge ceremony and um, we're coming up on our 19 year anniversary next week so okay. yeah just amazing it, it all like everything fell into place it was like he had everything planned you know he knew as his disease progressed I needed that firehouse I needed I needed something you know and and they were there for me and it, it, it's it's been an amazing career well I think about the fact that we are very fortunate to be in that community where we have that support what if you were working at for target or corporation yeah. that you're just a number it, exactly you know how I, much harder would that have been i think and it try to been. get the time off and have guys come in and cover you or that, being taken care of financially and just having a group of people who pretty much do anything that you need yeah, right exactly and that's what's very special about the fire service is that that community it's so hard to explain, isn't it? The yeah. just how we just rally around each other. And you would do the exact same thing for anybody else in your firehouse or in the fire service, right? So we, we have a member right now that has a very similar uh, cancer to my husband and my partner. I just call him my Miho, and <laughs> and he was lucky enough to be gifted by Shannon, and um, you know just to be there and us rallying around him and. We want him to focus on, on getting better, not about a paycheck, because it was so important that I never had to worry about that. You know, if he was getting chemo, I could be home. My daughter was young at the time, you know, so I never had to worry about something like that. And I think her foundation is so amazing to help financially, so you don't have to worry about that. And that, that was, it was such a comfort. And my department and Rosemont truly helped with all that, because even... You know, going to work after even after he was gone. Okay, what do I do with my daughter? And then her fear became, what if something happens to me? You know, and then you're comforting your kid. And she, at one point, she asked me to quit, and I said, okay, but I still have to work, and and I like what I do. And instead of only working maybe ten days a month, I'm going to be working a lot more. So it was, you know, you, you go from being comforted to comforting everybody else because they don't know what to say to you. And you just have to be like you're that first domino because if you fall, they just all fall right behind you. And I'm sure we'll talk some more too as we move along about, unfortunately, not everyone's experience is as good yeah. as Jenny's was. And and I'll just give a sneak preview before it's Sarah's turn. But, um, for example, when Russ went on FMLA, me and the kids were kicked off his health insurance. So oh that's one of the things that it depends, you know, each municipality is very different. Not that I want to throw anybody under the bus. And this was almost 13 years ago. But I was working for a small agency. You know, and your, had, your bracelet oh, is, there you, go. you were like, I should take this off. It's it's going to make noise. I'm like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, what's, what's that noise? Did Thank I, you. It will come <laughs> off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was working for a small agency that um, I ended up having to get uh, pay for our own health insurance out of pocket. Now, firefighters in Illinois are protected and could stay on their health insurance, but not the family isn't guaranteed. Just the firefighter? Yes. Okay, it's not guaranteed, but departments can do it at their discretion, correct? 
I'm not sure, and I will leave that one unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> I still have Rosemont's. What was your What was your experience with that? I still have Rosemont's insurance. Okay. And my daughter, until she turned 26, had Rosemont's insurance. So my and our insurance is incredible. So yeah, I've been yeah. paying my own health insurance out of pocket for 13 years. Really? Yeah, because wow. I'm self-employed. Okay. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm. That's why I'm so grateful. I mean, my experience has been so different. Um, because of the benefits that they afforded us. I mean, the community just, it, it's so wonderful, you know. And I think that's going to be one of the important things probably for us to get across, that there's a lot of variability. It's not consistent. There isn't really a good across-the-state consistent policies. And it really depends on what town, what village, what resources. So. Let's move on to Sarah, because I'm hoping that this is a three-for-three three story. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be <laughs> quite as uh, exaggerating or exciting. But um, it yeah. is exciting, though, because you, you have the I have other a, side. I have a, a more positive ending, which is, okay. which is great, not to, okay. to ruin it. But, um, but yeah, so I, uh, I'm in advertising here in the city. My husband's a firefighter. We've been married for, I think we're coming up on seven Um together for about 12 years now um and so he is a firefighter paramedic out in Oswego um and Rob he is like I mean all my friends would joke like the strong healthy like fit buff guy avid crossfitter everyone's like you're in a cult and you know all that stuff um and we're we're gonna you know, we own a crossfit gym do right? you yeah. okay yeah well I mean I went to a goose island crossfit in the city with him so you know yeah I saw your why I left a barrel so I get it um but yeah, that's that's him, right? That's him to a T. Very healthy, you know, whatever. So when he somebody gets, that you wouldn't expect this, not to have, yeah. Right? And so he was thirty four, and we had uh, one daughter at the time. She was, I think, like eighteen months, um, and it's just when COVID started, right? And he started having a couple symptoms, but because he was so physically active, you know, he'd be like, but oh, describe those symptoms. So he, and like, I only ask because I know. I hear these symptoms like, you know, you were talking about the mat. Now I'm like sitting here checking. I know. Like, you don't want to become yeah. paranoid because chances <laughs> right. are it's probably not, but it is probably, it's good to hear. Um, it started with shoulder pain. So, but you know, that was like, I lift, sure. I lift barbells, I lift weights. Like I'm doing Olympic weightlifting. It was just very easily chalked up to like, yeah, that's fine. And honestly, it never even crossed my mind that something was bigger. And then basically pandemic happened. You couldn't get into specialty doctor's offices. So he was going to a physical therapist at the time. She recommended he get a cortisone shot and an MRI. They did an MRI, didn't find anything, got the cortisone shot, and it just kept, like, getting worse. And then there was a point where his face swelled up. Like, it truly looked like he had gained 40 pounds. But it also was the start of the pandemic, and everyone was gaining weight. And, you know, so it also kind of we're like maybe it's that you know I don't know it's like a perfect storm to it, disguise what's really it really on, was right? and then you just couldn't get into these offices so he'd be like okay like I don't know I feel like my fingers are a little numb and I'd be like oh, that's weird like are you sure you're not just making it up you know being that typical wife not believing him probably like okay you're being a wimp like just deal with it um but it just kind of ha- kept happening and kept happening and then saw tons of specialists ENTs neurologists you know whatever nothing was ever finalized until um it was uh fourth of july weekend two years ago we were visiting my family in michigan and he just the 
the numbness and sort of like I have no other way to describe it other than like becoming paralyzed basically got so extreme that we he couldn't walk all of a sudden he was having difficulty going to the bathroom like it was just it it clearly got to emergency level and we were just like okay enough is enough we can't wait for the next doctor's appointment we just got to drop you off at the ER and go um and so I dropped him off that was a time where I couldn't be in doctor's offices so he kind of had to do everything by himself. And then the next morning he called and he was just like, it's really bad news. Um, drop Eliza off at, you know, daycare and, and try and come visit me at the hospital. And they basically said he had a tumor on his spine and a tumor in his chest. Um, and he eventually got diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I was also 11 weeks pregnant at the time. So it was just a very, like, kind of crazy whirlwind experience. This um, is all going on during COVID. All going on during COVID. So they basically, we went to the local hospital in Donders Grove. They rushed him to rush downtown. And then from that point on, I couldn't what, be What test did they give him to diagnose him? An MRI. That? An yeah. MRI? Yeah. Was a that full the same? body MRI. With is yours the, different? With, yeah. Is that what did it for you, Jen? The It was the third MRI that finally found. Yeah. Really? Yeah, this was the second one, yeah, actually. I think because they're so young, mm -hmm. they're like, it can't be. Let's do yes, it again. Yes. And, and they don't believe it. And actually, I didn't know this, but he had gotten blood panels done, and he was like, he literally told his general practitioner, you know, I'm a firefighter. Do a blood panel on me, whatever. Just make sure I have a higher risk of cancer. I even thought, I was like, you're crazy. Like, it's never going to be that. And they did a blood work, and it, and that still didn't catch it. So um, yeah, I think it is different. Yeah, they did... Um CAT scan and it didn't find it. Yeah. But he lost all his uh, speech when he had the seizure. Mm -hmm. They thought it was like a contagious disease. They yeah. brought in the CDC. They thought it was a cyst. Yeah. And it wasn't until the MRI. Why, do, why is it that their default symptom or their default yeah. would automatically be like, hey, let's just check for cancer? Yeah. Why isn't I that think a default? Maybe just because it's so complex. And I don't know. Um, there's not one – I feel like every – what the one thing I learned through all this is every cancer is so completely different. Every treatment is so different. How it presents itself is so different. There's different types of cancer with blood cancers and solid cancers, and I just didn't have – Well, if you get – if all hood. three of you could help somebody cast the widest net who maybe is going down this road – Yeah. What's your recommendation? Like, let's just do this so that we can rule this out yeah. right away without having to do this. All right, well, that's not it. Do this, that's not I, it. Like, what, what, between the three of you, what's the best way to approach this if you're starting to have some symptoms and it's, it's getting worse? I think I if you're a firefighter, you already, like, the word should be out already, yeah. right? Like, they didn't really know this back when Russ got diagnosed. I'm sure not when Dave was. But so how do you advocate for yourself, though? With you say, I'm a firefighter, and you, check this you out. You have to really raise your hand mm -hmm. and be like, can, like, look at this. I also think, you know, it's just the way it is with our healthcare system. Just, like, go to the ER. I tell my friends, like, just go to the ER because they will do the full, like, blood work, and then you don't get in this sort of, like, pigeonhole of, oh, well, I think it's this, so I'm going to go to this specialist or, you know, if you can somehow get into, like, a Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, where they have the group of doctors that check you out from every different perspective. Um, but I have to tell people just but the, go to the But the ER. blood work didn't do anything for you, didn't do anything for you, didn't do anything for you. So it, the MRI seemed to be the one that actually caught 
the cancer, right? In, right. in yeah. all three of your cases. Dave was so. very in tune with his body and he kept mm-hmm. telling me, I'm like, when this is nothing, you know, I, I'm going to make your other leg hurt. And he's like, I'm telling you it's something. I'm yeah. like, it isn't. And he yeah. knew from the very beginning Same. that it was, this was not good. Yeah. Yeah. And Same. I think we live in the, you know, we live in the world of denial. That's no possible way. What mm-hmm. you're, you're, he was 32. I'm like, there's no way. And even after the diagnosis, I'm like, yeah. Sar- you lose like all medical knowledge. I'm like, sar- sarcoma. What? What? What's a sarcoma? Yeah, and I yeah. think uh, as first responders, we are the worst patients ever. Yes. Like, yeah. And so if we're actually making that move yeah. to go to, if you you're an ER doc, and you have a first responder walk in, you should take that well, person. I was going to say, right? yeah, my husband's going to be the last person to call the fire sure. department. I think, I think you know, all, like think they're not. Are, yeah. He's not going to do that. You know, yeah. willy nilly because he knows what it means to go yeah. on a call. And, and you know who else is a victim of? <laughs> Us being first responders, my my kid. Yeah, that boy has to be damn near on his deathbed before <laughs> I'll call the ambulance, or I, or I'll take him to the emergency room. Yeah, like that's, it's not even in the top ten reasons. You know, mm-hmm. I so. remember when I was pregnant with both my kids, and and we lived in town. I was like, there is no way the guys are showing up at this house to take me. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, right. And especially when you live in the town exactly. where they're going to be oh, responding. Sure. Yeah. It's like Alyssa, if I just. Just give, me give, give me a minute to clean like, up, yeah. clean up the place. Yeah. I don't want these yeah. guys coming in here. Yeah. I got clothes yeah. everywhere. Right. Yeah, crazy dog. So. <laughs> right, I got to right. lock up the dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, MRI. You guys think yeah. if if you're having some like tough, advocate for that? I mean, the tough part about MRIs though is that they also cause cancer, right? I mean, so you have to be a little bit careful with some of these like uh, diagnosis, um, you know, different treatments and stuff, but. But yeah, if you really think something is wrong and it's to that level of severity, I think I would it's say, yeah. speaking up, right? Yeah. I remember when Russ's um, illness was pretty progressed, and every time, I, I mean, at some point, every time he had a seizure, we knew what was going on. So you know, you didn't call the Calvary. But I remember one time going in and at the ER, and they wanted to to do, you know, a CAT scan. I'm like, we already know what this is. So you really have to advocate. I think it's speak up, and as spouses, partners. Um, you are their next big advocate. I mean, Russ lost his ability to speak and read every time I had a seizure. Um, but yeah, the identity of, you know, here's this paramedic who um, his then nine-year-old daughter was reading his medication pill bags because I would set out his meds every week on Sunday. And his nine-year-old daughter would have to read to make sure he got the right ones because he couldn't read them anymore. And that's pretty devastating. But you do have to advocate. You do have to speak up. So, Sarah, what happened after the diagnosis? Yeah, so right after he was transferred to Rush, and he was there for about two weeks where he got immediate doses of radiation so that they could get the tumor. Because there was a... He had a tumor on his spine, and so there was a big question of, like, are we going to do spinal surgery? Is that what was giving him shoulder pain? Yeah, and that was the other complicated part because he had two tumors. So one was pushing up his um, superior ventricle, vena cava. Yeah, sorry. I'm going to talk to the paramedics in the room. You guys tell me what the (laughs) (laughs) the anatomy anatomy is. Yeah, and then one on the back of the spine. And so they were giving him conflicting sort of symptoms, which I think was confusing us, but... Yeah, the one on his spine was kind of like giving him the paralysis. And so there was a question about whether or not to operate. And then luckily, once we found out it was a lymphoma, 
they do not recommend surgeries for lymphomas because it actually just like spreads the cancer more. So the best course of action was just high doses of radiation. So he was basically in a hospital for two weeks in rush, kind of on lockdown. I would send him Uber Eats deliveries and coordinate with nurses to try and get food up to him and stuff. Um, And then he came home and started his sort of chemo treatment regimen and just kind of day-to-day life um, outside of that. And I think, you know, everyone was talking about some of the nuances with just departments. We were, I would say, pretty lucky. Uh, Rob's department does have long-term disability, which I've heard is somewhat rare. I don't know, like not every department has it. So he was able to at least get 50% of his pay for a year. So we kind of had that like year mark of like, okay, you've got to go into remission in a year because, you know, (laughs) otherwise there's like bigger decisions to make. But that was extremely helpful. And then the health insurance was phenomenal because he didn't have to pay out of pocket for any costs throughout the process. Now, when he was going through that, I imagine that like kicked his ass, that radiation Uh, and stuff like that, right? The chemo, uh, he, so Rob, I will preface, is very lucky in the cancer world and that he has a type of cancer that science has figured out which is great and so we're sitting here kind of in remission two years later and and hopefully you know for everybody listening those are the jets where the air oh is it the air and water show that's what that that is yeah i was was wondering (laughs) if they were going to cancel it because of the weather um but yeah so it was extremely aggressive and i will say the 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 most difficult part was doing all this through COVID because I think a lot of the help, physical help, not like financial necessarily help, we just couldn't accept because he was so immunocompromised and we were just at the stage in the pandemic where we just had to be extremely careful about who we saw. I could never go to any of his infusions with him. So we sucks. couldn't really invite people into our home. Yeah. Um, well, the so reason really the reason I ask is because – you described your husband as a, a CrossFit yes. or super fit guy. Did that come into play on his recovery? Yeah. Just him being physically fit prior to this? I think so, for sure. Um, I, I mean, the, the chemo was so aggressive. There was a point where he lost 30 pounds in a month, and I just remember he couldn't drink water. He couldn't eat. He had developed thrush. And I don't know if anyone else had, yes, the mouth sores. And it was so brutal. And he was losing so much weight, and he's not used to being the guy who needs help. And so I think that was definitely a battle that he went through. And it was hard for me to see him like that, too, because that's not, you know, how I knew him. Um, but you just, I don't know, you just do what you have to do, you don't right? Have a like you just have a choice. Like, everyone's like, how do you do it? You just, I don't know, you yeah, just do you it. You have a choice. And then you had kids, and you were pregnant. Uh, yeah, so I was pregnant, and then I had a very rambunctious 18-month-old. <laughs> but... Um, and I was working full time, you know, because I had to. But luckily, I think the one positive of the COVID of it all is that at that time I had a very demanding job when it comes to travel and being downtown in an office five days a week and commuting, and all of that oh, went away. You got to do that all from home now, right? Now I had to do that all oh, from home. So the benefit was that I was able to sort of be physically in the home with him to help him through a lot of this. And my company, for being a massive corporation, was extra like really really helpful and they actually put together a you know a huge um meal train for me so or for us for all of us one of my some of my coworkers would drive from the city out to Downers Grove on a Friday night to bring us like a you know five squared pizza that was like only in their neighborhood <laughs> that they wanted us to eat and so people were really great and even the firefighters like 
there were three sort of times throughout the fall to spring season that we just really needed um, help with our yard. Like I just wasn't in a position being pregnant, you know, with my toddler to be out there necessarily like cleaning gutters. So I would just sometimes every, I don't know, a couple months, a group of van of firefighters would come in one morning after shift and just, they'd all go to town doing, I don't even know what on our yard, but at least enough to get us by. That's awesome. Super, super helpful. Were those guys from, uh, yeah, they were all from us. We go. Yes. Nice. They were really great. Well, oh, I think we're three for three with, <laughs> there wasn't an evil corporation or no. an evil department working against you. No. So no evil. No. Well, good. Other than it, but you, but I must say though, for the people listening, you have been talking about your husband in the past tense. Have I? Yeah. Oh, interesting. No, he's here. He's watching. <laughs> no, he's watching. I have two children now. He's watching both of them. Um, he's here. So how, explain his recovery. Like, um, and how long yeah. did it take? It took mm, not as long as probably you think, maybe like six months, I think. From start, the, some, from start to finish? Oh, sorry. Like I was talking about after chemo. Like okay. during, so in the like aggressive parts of treatment, that was probably 10 months. And then kind of like a three-month period just to, like, get the chemo out of your body, rebuild strength. But then the one hard part for us going back to work that I didn't really realize is his oncologist would just prescribe him just boatloads of drugs. And you're just, like, in it, and so you're not even really thinking about what all these drugs entail. Um, So we didn't ask a ton of questions. It's like they give you steroids, and then they give you this other drug that combats the the insomnia of the steroids. The chemo just is to kill everything. Yeah. And then you got to let everything that's not natural come back, right? Yeah. Uh, Yes, that's true. And then, but then some of these drugs that they prescribe you are really intense, and I don't think we really knew that. And so you actually can't be a firefighter on these drugs because they're... Um, well, blood thinners is one that... Blood thinners. And then there was even like, um, it's called lorazepam. Um, oh, yeah. He was, it's like an anxiety one that they prescribed him to combat the steroids. We didn't know about that necessarily. So then all of those had to be sort of weaned off really slowly under like the guidance of a psychiatrist. And then once he was finally cleared of, because he had, he developed a blood, a blood clot too. Uh, during treatment so he was on blood thinners and just you know all the nuances of those drugs that was a little bit of a learning curve of like we thought he could just go back and not sort of realizing like some of the nuances of what you can and can't be on and is that something that you guys take like cover with shield 23 is all those little nuances like hey he if he's going to be on blood thinners or stuff like that do you do you help with that Um, oh it's all because i imagine that with something like this the devil's in the details. It's yes. all the little things that add up. But again, it's so unique to each no. person. And that's because not everyone's going to be on a blood thinner. Correct. Yeah. But that's it's actually a really good point um, about, you know, these are some of the cautionary things. How do you then get back to work? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I love having both Jenny and Sarah here because we have both sides. Obviously, I'm a side too. But yeah. um, just realizing it's not easy to qualify to get back. I mean, Russ. Mm-hmm was basically doing a desk job for a while, but his was brain cancer, which changes your ability to function in a different way. So we knew he was never going to go back to work. It was just a matter of, you know, hanging in there in survival until we knew that wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
So I think, you know, the, the recovery phase is important. And mm-hmm. what meds can you be on, not be on in the firefighting field? Yeah. And I don't I assume that's the same by state, at least, you think. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Good See, question. that's something that I would go to Shield 23. <laughs> You're like, hey, Shannon. I, I will pass What's, that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We but, will look into that because one of our board members is actually a nurse, so I'm going to ask her. Yeah, I, I will mean, say there's like this time crunch, though, that you always have in the back of your mind when you're mm-hmm. going through this because the financial part of it is so critical, yeah. and so you're on this. And when your FMLA kicks in, mm-hmm. how many weeks of benefits So just you like have. trying to – I think knowing some of that some going into it is so won't helpful. even do light duty. Yeah. I, mine, ours did not. Yeah, now, ours did not have a light dose. Sir, did your husband have to take like a functional capacity test to come yeah, back? Yeah, he definitely. He saw a couple doctors. Uh, did he have to do a physical? I don't know if he had to do a physical, um, like a the agility, like the CPAP. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not but, sure if he had to do that, but I think he definitely did have to get cleared by multiple doctors. Okay, and because I because I don't think it's I think. Uh, um, some departments, if you're off beyond a year, then you have to do. So yeah. that's another part of the would be interesting to like kind of document is, all right, if he's off for a year, he's going to have to take this test mm-hmm. or, you know, be looking ahead because they're going to most par- departments are going to require that. But, you know, just like the symptoms are different, the departments are different on mm-hmm. what the requirements and what they require you to physically do to come back mm-hmm. af- after that but i mean there are some firefighters on chemo and still working. working wow you know they'll take some time off during symptoms yeah side effects and then come back so it just varies yeah yeah that wouldn't have been an option for us because it was so yeah it was so brutal but yes i do think like people who are on maybe oral chemo that's a little mm-hmm. more so he, he's back to work he's back to work uh functioning just as maybe. he was before or did yeah. they kind of give him like like put him in the like a uh, fire inspector or something. No, until... no, no. Same, same job. I don't know what what do you guys call it? black hats, right? I don't know. He's just like a. Like, do they call him black hats? Like he's just a a guy on shift. Oh, blue like, shirt. Blue shirt. Blue shirt. I don't know. He always <laughs> calls them black hats. No, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that, that's that, a thing. That must be up, up way up north by you guys. Yeah, have you ever heard, heard of that? Never job? heard of that. No, you never heard of that. I, I was, was thinking. Are you saying black shift? No, <laughs> no. A black hat in the military is like an instructor. Like oh, a, he's not a, no, he's no. just a guy on shift. I don't know. Okay, well, maybe okay. I got that saying wrong. That could be me, not <laughs> When him. he listens, he's like, dang. Yeah. I know, he's like, shoot, I thought I taught <laughs> her well. Miss- yeah, I thought I taught her better than that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a call in while we're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple things that come up here and there, you know, just little neuropathy issues. Um... I think more than anything, he's got a mental shift going back with a increased p- level of patience for the calls that he's on. I think, you know, before it's probably, I'm, I'm sure you guys can say it more than I can, that there's, you know, you get really annoyed sometimes at probably the different calls you get. Well, just imagine his his thinking now that he goes on a call for shoulder pain. Yeah. Okay, which... Before that, he'd be like, "Are you kidding me? You're mm-hmm. calling nine one one for shoulder? That's been going on for yes a yes. week, two weeks. Yes, it's a different call for him now, right? It is. I think he just has a different level of of understanding for some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, do you yeah. feel that way too, Jen? Now that you've what you've gone through, like when I, you're I going do. on EMS runs, you have a little different. Uh, yeah, the cancer patients and just the um, the compassion 
with the family and you relate to the family because, you know, I could never relate to what he was going through as he could never relate to what I was going through. And, and I've said that, I said, you know, when your suffering ends, you know, mine begins. So I think that dealing with the family now and just giving them some comfort and having that knowledge, you almost feel, I mean, I went in there with notes and notebooks and I took notes on everything because he was my everything, but he was just a patient to them. So I didn't care what they said about me. If I wanted this done, you know, if he was uncomfortable, let's do this. And you just, I became his advocate too, but on calls, definitely there's just that compassion and understanding level that you have. Yeah. It changes your level of empathy for people going through what you went through now, right? Right. That you didn't have yeah. prior to that. Now, are you a complete expert on sarcoma and are you a complete expert on lymphoma? Not all lymphoma, that's for sure. That's a broad category. Hodgkin's lymphoma, expert. You know you know everything. So if not everything, but uh, you know, more than a more than the average. You took percent. a deep dive into it. Just There's a lot of googling. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, remember that was that first after I came home and uh, they didn't actually give the formal diagnosis of what type of brain cancer Russ had until after he had brain surgery, which he actually ended up having two. Um, and it's, let's see if I could still say it, oligodendroglioma. So that's the kind of brain I, didn't cancer. We, did, didn't I have to give you guys $100 or something like that? Because, <laughs> that's because of that work. I can't remember what the bet was, but yeah. I d- had to donate $100 right there on the spot <laughs> because, I, I don't know, Couldn't I think I had Cor- Corey, yeah, yeah. If, if Corey could say it or something like that. Exactly. But, yeah, I remember, you know, and again, this is in 09, so even the Internet wasn't what it is sure. today. And I remember going on the Internet, looking it up, and I had been told by a good friend of mine who was a nurse who said, look it up once and then never go on again. Yeah. I think that's and good advice. And I never advice. did. I never yeah. went on the internet again. Yeah. It was like, nope, because you read that, and it's like, okay, now I know what it is, mm-hmm. but I don't need to know what it could be, yeah. or, you know, you have to kind of focus. Yeah. So that That's mm-hmm. awesome advice. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by the Frontline Team. And their phone number is 630 630- Five three four twenty nine hundred. You guys can also email them at the frontline team at the federal savings bank.com. Peer support is so important, and I, I, I've realized that just over my lifespan that you have to be able to talk to someone. And if you're going through the mortgage process and you also have someone who has shared life experiences and you're able to talk to them about the shit you're going through. Like, I didn't feel embarrassed about asking Josh a question because yeah. Josh knows where I come from. You know, I'm like, hey, uh, I know this sounds dumb, but blah, 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 blah. I'm just a fireman. I don't know anything about banks mm-hmm. or mortgages or right. blah, blah, blah. I try my best, but that's not really where my, you know, my forte and he understand he understands that because I think a majority yeah. of the firemen out there, cops and paramedics, and like we're so preoccupied with other things. It's like, dude, I just want a cheap loan and I don't want to get screwed. How, yeah. how does this work? Can you can you help me out? And he's like, he understands that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. I do. I love what we do. I will say on the just cancer kind of fire service in general, like getting some of the packets that I know I've gotten from you, and then there was another guy came to our house at one point and gave us, I'm trying to remember his name and I'm blanking on it. Um, And he was very sweet and kind and gave us a whole list of information about the fire service and cancer and just 
causes and the types of cancer, that was all, again, like very specific to our unique situation. Yeah. That Probably I think the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. Here, Sarah, uh, yeah. let's get you in that microphone yeah. a little bit oh, because the blue angels are... They're, yeah. they're flying <laughs> they're too up, loud. Yeah, they're messing things up. Um, but yes, yeah. that was all levels. Of, I mean, I didn't know that. And I was the wife of a firefighter, you know, and I had no idea what those correlations were and right. those risks going into it. But well, because it's never going to happen to us, right? raises a good yeah. question. Like, like, I am now the, the mother of a firefighter mm-hmm. and the widow of a firefighter. And you guys are both, you know, you're in it yourself, Jenny. Yeah. And like you said, your daughter was like, you know, you need to quit. And, and I'm curious, was, Sarah, do you have any second thoughts about him staying in? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and I know he was originally, and he's public about this at his job, so I feel okay saying this, but he was originally thinking, like, I'm definitely going to do a 30-year career, and that this has totally shifted his um, perception. But even now, I think we still struggle with it of, like, okay, getting to the 20 years to get to the pension kind of thing, the you know golden handcuffs type of situation. Or ultimately, none of that's worth it, you know, um, if, you know, if something else were to happen. So I don't know. It's a, it's a struggle, but I think he loves the job mm-hmm. itself. And you never know what's coming with something like this right. health-wise. So. I know Ryan and I have had the conversation because you don't know how much is genetic, how much you're predisposed. Um, but Ryan being young, knowing what happened to his father, he has always been very adamant about the safety protocols and you know i think the next generation hopefully is just smarter and more careful and of course there's more safety protocols now i know even just like every time he says he's got a fire shift i'm like okay get in the shower right away you know right and we didn't you know back in the day i mean we didn't really wear air packs you know 30 years ago you were kind of like a sissy if you did that you didn't Mm -hmm. you wanted your gear to smell a smoke and now it's like you didn't want to wash it you wanted your helmet to be salty absolutely and if and then we would put our helmet in the oven and everything, so <laughs> it would look like, yeah, look. look you guys have a sauna at, at Itasca? We, we don't. I have a sauna at my house, and we would use that. Um, we've looked into or a that, too. steam room or something like that. Do they have it? I don't know. I don't think they have any of that. No, um, we've looked into that. The awareness when my husband was, was diagnosed is so was so much less yes. you know, than it is now. Yeah. I mean, even like your Nomex hood, you know, we'll see the guys, and they put it you know, on, in their pants and everything. And I'm like, listen, you got to protect them, boys. Get that out of there. You, <laughs> don't, you don't want that. Yeah. So we're, we just, and the thyroid cancer and, and stuff like yeah. that. So we're just mm-hmm. so much more aware of, yeah. of cleaning and the, fa- like, after we got back from here, okay, go take a shower. It's not negotiable anymore. You take a shower and you clean up. Yeah, Russ was the quartermaster his entire career and handled all the gear, unclean. Really? And his little desk in his office was in the room with the gear. They would never do that now, nor I hope is anybody who's listening doing that now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but they didn't know. Mm-hmm. We used yeah. to bring our pants into the bunk room, our bunker pants. You, you didn't care. You just you brought them in there right. and you, you got dressed. Left them at the foot of the bed. Right. And now mm-hmm. it's like no no gear is, is past the door. Right. Mm-hmm. So with the awareness is there, and it's almost like it was, you know, they helped, they helped move everything forward. Mm-hmm. And you have to... You know, we have to find some positives mm-hmm. in, in what we've gone through, and I'm so right. I'm so happy that you know your story is going to be so much different. Yeah. The ending, you know, <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. I know, I know. <laughs> it's it's hard though because you're like you feel like you're still in it, and we're still in that you know you are testing three yeah. months and and every little pain, you know, spot. Yes, every oh, little he spot. He just had a weird 
bruise on the back of his knee. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have a DVT. Go to the ER. <laughs> yeah. I was like, go to the ER. And I made him I made him go to the hospital. But, you know, and it was fine. And they were like, he just has a bruise. Just Is he back down. to working out and stuff? Uh, yes. Although our three-year-old and our one-year-old sort of don't keep the same rhythm that we had before. Um, so that, you know, is, makes it a little harder, but outside of just raising two rambunctious little girls, that's, that's a workout. Yeah. That's a workout. <laughs> well, uh, Shannon, maybe you can answer this. How hard is it? How hard is that fight to attribute cancer to the everyday workings of the fire service? Yeah. That's, nobody that's wants to battle. pay that bill, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, nobody and nobody wants way, to take the blame for that and then yeah. have to pay for that. I mean, I'm so happy to hear that, Sarah, you guys are good with the insurance and no out-of-pocket. Yes. People kind of cringe, but I am very happy to be like, worst-case scenario, this is what you don't want to have happen mm-hmm. example, so I will, I will take that. Um, Russ had a half-a-million-dollar medical bill after he passed away, and that's because the... Um, chemo drug that he was on was still in uh, trials and then it was approved by the FDA and it did keep him here longer than than Mm -hmm. they said it would. Um, The FDA approved it but his health insurance plan at the time refused to recognize that. Wow. Luckily we did everything through Northwestern and um, Northwestern had a special program at the time they called it a drug replacement program. So the drug company agreed to reimburse Northwestern because he'd been in the trial, and it wasn't our fault that the insurance company wouldn't pay, so the drug company replaced the chemo at Northwestern, and every month they would take it off of the bill that I was getting. But then um, to add insult to injury, after that bill was paid off, um, there was a $35,000 balance due that um, they said, well, this is the drug that they had to administer during his chemo. But since it was used for that chemo drug, which we didn't approve, we won't approve that either. So one of the things that's really important about the life insurance, too, is we hear the jets. (laughs) Go USA. Yeah. Um, I could say that my daughter's in the National Guard, so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so one of the things, you know, one of the dirty little secrets is that as family, surviving family, you're responsible for the medical debt. And a lot of people don't realize that just because your person passes away, the family, the, the heirs, they'll have to pay the bills. And um, so I had to pay all that out of pocket. And so, you know, I look back, he had a very, we had help our um, life insurance policies privately before, I don't know why, we, we just luckily did um, for years before he was diagnosed. That's the other thing. People don't always realize once you get any significant diagnosis, you're no longer eligible to apply for any life insurance. Mm-hmm. So you have to get it before you get the bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I ended up walking to my financial advisor's office, and I said, just pay it off, because this was a year after he had already passed away. And you keep getting this bill in the mail. Do they add interest or anything like that to it? No. Okay. Because Northwestern themselves were really cool about it. Um, they disagreed. They tried to argue on our behalf. It was just but is the it, health insurance company. Were they really hardcore coming after you, like threatening you with litigation no, or garnishings? No, they, they were actually, they anything? were really good about it. They, okay. they knew that we were kind of in this weird situation. And I will say I never told Russ about the bill. 
because he would have quit treatment. Yeah. Because um, he asked a couple times. <laughs> and, you know, the one positive about not, him not being able to, like, read at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't see the mail. He didn't see the bill. But I knew that he would have he quit treatment sooner because he didn't want me stuck with sure. that. Well, because, yeah. yeah, that financial burden is so yeah. heavy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I well, mean, we were very lucky. We were the beneficiaries. Um, Rooney Fire Department held a fundraiser for us. Um, you know, I remember Ryan overhearing something. Kids always overhear something. And he one day came up to me and said, are we going to have to move? Are we going to lose the house? And I was working full time, had to keep working full time. And that's the thing, too. You want to be home for your partner or help, but I had to keep working. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stress with the finances and just our weird situation. I mean, in 08 was the election, and so the big question on the docket was health care, Obamacare, and regardless of your politics, um, you know, I remember we were interviewed. Actually, there was a student who was doing her study abroad program in Chicago. She was from Denmark, I think. And she interviewed us for her school because she saw one of our flyers for the fundraiser. And she says, I don't understand why, why you guys have to do a fundraiser here in the States in order to pay your bills. Because they have, they have universal, universal health care, right? You know, so... You know, there was all the politics involved at the time. and um, But, yeah, it's it's a big deal, the, you know, the headaches that you have to deal with as a family. And it really depends. It depends on the health care plan that the employer has. It depends, are, are they still covered under their FMLA? Um, you lose your income. Yeah. I, I mean, Jenny, you were really lucky. Oh, I was so blessed. I, I did not have yeah, that. Was it, it was full <laughs> income? Full full wow. income. Yeah. And then when he went back after he had the surgery, his mobility was a little different. Mm -hmm. So he had trouble, like, climbing ladders. So they just moved him to the police side. That's right. And, and just, I mean. Having that flexibility. Yeah. I mean, w we never got a bill. Our medical bills, I, I mean, yeah. maybe $200, $300 a yeah. year. Yeah. It was never, I mean, the department was just so wonderful, the the benefits. I know at one point um, he had written a letter to um, Donald Stevens and said, thank you so much for caring about this town so much that he treated us like family, really, because the insurance was so amazing. I truly feel that that kept my husband alive longer than maybe some other. If he was at a different department, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I never worried about a paycheck. I mean, if he was off, we'd still get a paycheck. He'd go in when he could. He'd work detective. If he couldn't work the street, he, they they just accommodated him. They, they were amazing. Well, that is amazing because uh, that man gets a bad rap, and there's yeah. been a lot of bad press about him. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome to hear that, it's, that he actually cares that much and that he personally took an interest and took care of you guys. So It, it was amazing. They embraced us, this entire town embraced us because I still went to work for a 24-hour shift so my neighbors took my daughter on and brought her to cheerleading or softball or you know and then I was lucky enough my parents wound up moving into town um, six months later because I was like how do I do this but the, the entire community yeah we got Alyssa tomorrow we got Alyssa and, and you know so I was extremely lucky with financial insurance everything well between the three of you guys is there, like, your best advice for, and I know 
we can't do anything like we all can plan ahead in the event that somebody's going to get cancer so we can get that life insurance we can get that health insurance but now that you've been diagnosed what is something that somebody can do to help financially like hedge themselves for being in shannon's predicament where almost a hundred thousand dollars in debt by the time it's all said and done right what is there anything if if anything can be done once you get that diagnosis because now you can't go back and be like okay i need some Mm -hmm. supplemental health insurance or i need a life insurance policy i'll just accept any help that is given to you you know um we were really lucky we were recipients of the shield 23 financial help um and then we were also a buddha's brotherhood recipient as well those were really really helpful even just I it sounds silly but like accepting meals like I don't think people probably realize how much money you spend on groceries and stuff and we had three you know days a week that meals were taken care of with the support of my coworkers and family and friends and then the fire service as well so people who are listening if <laughs> they have somebody who is in that predicament like dropping off a bag of groceries at the house is a huge yeah. thing I loved it. I mean, I had people, Amazon, you know, deliver groceries to me. We had some people to come do home-cooked meals, but it was a little harder because we lived farther away. And, you know, they Don't underestimate gift cards. Yeah, gift cards were huge. I remember getting little, and again, you know, we were 13 years ago, 15 years ago when he was diagnosed. So the world, it's amazing how much it's changed, Mm -hmm. right? So we didn't have Amazon delivery and stuff like that. But just getting a basket of gift cards to local restaurants so that, mm-hmm. you know, and I will also say, worst case scenario, um, when that door closes, when the services are over, when everybody else goes back to their lives, um, I will fess up to this. Um, and I'm a therapist in my day job, so <laughs> I, I knew what was going on. But... I did not want to sit down and have dinner with my kids every night after I got home mm-hmm. from work because I was still, I, I went back to work a month after rest pass because I had to earn my living. And um, those gift cards were amazing to just kind of call, go pick something up on the way home. Um, I remember my daughter saying, because I would go up to my room and have dinner by myself, and I would let the kids kind of do their dinner downstairs, which that didn't go on for very long, but that, that's, that was part of the grieving process. But uh, I didn't want to cook. I wasn't in the mood to be making dinner for us and doing all that stuff. So little things like that, gift cards, thinking about things that kind of get lost or forgotten, sending cards to people, like regular cards, like don't forget. Text. I mean, some of the things I remember the most are just the people that texted me once a week, you know, and just never stopped texting because you're always thinking about it. So it's not like you have to worry about, you know. Well, for, as an outsider, I, I feel like I don't want to be bothering mm-hmm. the family or am I overstepping my bounds? I, I, so you know, here, here's a big, a big key. I'm going to go on my soapbox here. <laughs> don't ask, what can I do to help? Because mm-hmm. we're fried. Like, mm-hmm. we have enough things to do. The best thing to do is identify what you can offer and do it. Say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do this. Yep. I'm going to cut your grass. Yep. I'm going to go get groceries. I'm going to take your kids for the night. I'm going to take you out for a drink. Just do it. (laughs) Just show up and say, I'm showing up at this time. Does this work for you? I mean, do ask. 
don't show up unannounced. That's not good either. But um, but do ask and just but just say what you're going to do. At least that's kind of my experience. I don't know. You guys feel the same what way. What you guys think? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. don't give me something else. I need the plan or exactly. Yeah. Just right. Just I mean, mine was a little different because I had to kind of ask. Okay, who can take my kid mm-hmm. every third day? You know, my parents oh, worked. Sure. My parents worked full time. Lucky to have my parents do that. Right. My mm-hmm. in laws both worked full time. Um, yeah. And my, my in-laws had, Dave was their second son that passed away. And then, you know, actually their third son passed away a, a few years ago. So right. there was so much because not only are you grieving, but then you have, you know, you're worried about your, your in-laws, my parents, mm-hmm. your my daughter. I mean, everything the, from the dog. So for somebody to take Alyssa and mm-hmm. just take her out for the night to make okay. her life normal, because there is no normal Mm-hmm. Um, was was just huge just to do something to give her, you know, s- some kind of out. My out was the firehouse. You know, mm-hmm. I got to deal with other people's problems. I didn't have to deal with mine. My biggest problem at the firehouse was I could not sleep in my bed because my brain, I relaxed too much, mm-hmm. and then my reality was too overwhelming. What am I going to do? I have an 8-year-old. I'm, you know, doing this. I have to make, you know, I have to get invested. I have to make 20 years. Just everything. So... The responsibility. The yeah. responsibility. So I, f- I would fall asleep watching TV because I couldn't relax that much. I still do. I, yeah. I cannot. I know. It sounds bad, right? <laughs> 13 years later, I still set the timer on the TV and, and then I'll, I'll go to sleep. Right. And then mm-hmm. my daughter slept in my bed from the night he passed away. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, she was eight. And everybody's like, well, how long are you going to... Listen, you buy a computer, you get a manual like this. Your husband passes away. What do you do? And she, she was very, I'm like, do you want to go to therapy? She's like, I'm not sharing my dad with anybody. She did not want to do that. So we would sit together um, at night, and we would, I'd have my coffee, she'd have her tea, and we would just talk and just say, you know, how was your day? And always memories of him and talk about him. So, you know. A part of us creating the foundation was to pay it forward. Right. That's, that's part of our healing and, and part of what feels good. And I know it's important to Ryan and Laura now lives in Indiana, but we just found out about an Indiana firefighter with cancer. So, you know, we've, we've gone a little bit national. We've done a gifting in Texas and a gifting in Atlanta. We prioritize Illinois um, as long as the funds allow. But just, you know, I think the, the key to it is grief or even the struggles going through cancer. You know, it's been 13 years since Russ passed, but it was a two and a half year battle before that. Yeah. And so the stress and just managing, um, I can't even imagine going through COVID at the same time. <laughs> yeah, not being there because yeah. I was there for every yeah. injection, every surgery. Yeah. You know, they knew that if they didn't bring me into his recovery room, I would find a way to sneak in there. So <laughs> the docs would just bring me in there. They're like, just just bring her in there. Yeah. Because I, I just, I needed that. I know. I, know? I did a lot of video calls. <laughs> And I just forced him every time a doctor walked in the room, you know, call me. It doesn't matter if I was Mm -hmm. on a work call. I hung up. You know, I knew those 10 minutes were. And just just being willing to accept help, right? You have to. It's hard. I mean, we talk about that a lot in the foundation. I've had so many conversations on phone and even by email. We've had firefighters decline our help initially. And I will be like. Now, did they say. There's other people. Yes, yeah, give it to somebody yeah, else who needs it more. They're used to being it's not, like it the wasn't just no, no thanks, right? Yeah. No, I mean they love what we do. I mean yes, I'll with great respect they would say it, but it would be oh no no. And part of that's denial, 
right? Yeah. I mean, part of it's, oh, I'm not in that situation. I don't really need your help because it feels like charity. Mm-hmm. And, and we get that, you know, and I always get to say, hey, been there, done that. And I will tell you, put the pride aside. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even if you're single or solo, um, you know, if you, I, I mean, we had one gifting, had five kids, you know, and, and we adjust our gifting accordingly. So when somebody says that to you, what, what's your response? I would imagine that you would have to go about it the same way as just make, just come over, cut the grass or just come over, mm-hmm. bring groceries. You got to be like, the check is already coming. Yeah. If you want to tear it up. <laughs> You tear it up, but it's I it's think done. I had to come pretty close to saying that, but that's why we often rely on liaisons. So we have usually someone in each department. We've had neighbors, we've had friends. Um, I had a spouse who actually reached out. Um, so we try to rely on liaisons who kind of walk that line and say, "Too bad we're doing this for you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that seems to. That help being said, too. how can somebody get a hold of you, who's listening to this? Mm-hmm who maybe has somebody that they know that could probably yeah. use your help? How do well, they get a hold of you? The, the best way to reach us is through the website, okay. shield23foundation.org. Everything's on there. We have a very simple two-page and 23, gifting. the number 23? The number 23, okay. thank you. Um, is the um, We have a two-page gifting request form. Um, it's not an application. We don't call it an application because anybody who applies, they're in. Um, the only two things that we need just because the world is crazy and so you have to have some accountability uh, makes the accountants and the lawyers happy which is to um, we ask for confirmation of the diagnosis and confirmation of employment and what about taxes on the gift we have not had anybody have a problem with that we had one family where they were getting um, a lot of other donations as well so we split it into two (laughs) (laughs) There's always a way around it. Um, so I'm sure an accountant could explain that better. Um, but yeah, if you get too much like in a lump sum, it kind of also flags the banks. And so we we have ways of we'll do whatever it is that okay. we need to do to kind of help out with that. But so far, um, checks work. Um, if someone's in a bit of a bind, we could also write a check directly to like their health insurance if we need to pay a bill for them. Okay. If we need to pay the mortgage for them one month, we can write the check directly to the mortgage company. So we're happy to kind of be flexible. Okay. Um, I mean, one of the things around the finances, and, and I'm sure for you, Sarah, you ran into this, a lot of the guys, as we all know, all work second jobs or the overtime. And so you lose all that. Mm-hmm. So you, like Russ did, you know, lost the second job, lost the overtime. So that pays bills, too. So sometimes we figure out the amount that we give. We cover, like, what they lost from their part-time work or additional work. We'll cover that. So, yeah, we, we get creative. But definitely the that hesit- hesitancy, the reluctance to accept help. And I'll say even for me, it was very awkward. I mean, born and raised in the Midwest, stand on your own two feet. You know, we kind of have a certain attitude <laughs> sure. and it was hard to say yeah i need help and I there's a, a stigma in the the fire service especially that if you're weak for asking for help right you yeah. we, we've all understand that and i think we're doing a pretty good job of trying to chip away at that stigma that yeah you know what if if i was in a fire we have a writ team to come get me mm-hmm. right this is the same thing right it's a pretty good analogy for yeah, I, I'm in trouble. I need help. 
Mm-hmm. These guys are coming to get we me. We have that on one of our rack cards, kind of borrowing from the very well-known movie. It says, you go, we go. <laughs> I think, so, I I think, think we anybody who's listened is. to this podcast knows, knows that movie very well. <laughs> so, I mean, it is that idea that, and, you know, we are a family. I, I mean, one of the most moving things, I think, for me, being part of the foundation is on the point of contact for all the giftings as the chair. And just getting to know everyone. I mean, all the recipients are part of our family. Is there a way to contact you on that website? If somebody has a question outside of gifting, and can they contact you with any general question? They may be going through something. I'm happy to give my phone number as well. You want to give give it out? I I will. All right. (laughs) So it's my cell, 847-613-5116. Okay, well, Shannon's putting her money where her mouth is. <laughs> she just gave you her cell phone. You so. can also reach out through our Facebook page. Uh, Ryan, you know, leave it to the young ones to handle socials. So um, he monitors our Facebook page. We often get inquiries um, that way. And um, so that works. Uh, Lauren manages the website because that's a good thing for her to do remotely. And Facebook, it's just Shield 23? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um it's going well, and we look at continuing. And as everybody knows, with COVID, we got kind of hit by that too. We couldn't do our live fundraisers and things. So you guys have a, you guys have a accept. pretty good relationship with um that restaurant up north. Um, the, the barbecue. Lodge? The barbecue. Oh oh, Mission Barbecue. Mi- Mission Barbecue. Yes. yes. So Mission Barbecue. So give them a shout out because I, I I know that they've been really helpful with yeah. you guys. So Mission Barbecue across the country for each of their stores in their jurisdiction, they team up or pair up with local police, fire, and military. And Gurney's store, of course, is close to Great Lakes as well, so they have a good military connection. But they actually gave us their seed money um, when they opened. And every, let's see, so right now they have their cups promotion going. So from August 11th to September 11th, they do their Heroes Cups. And so we split the proceeds, the extra amount they charge for that cup. Um, we split with the Gurney FOP. So it's a good good process, good teamwork. And they have been amazing, wonderful people. Um, all, a lot of their employees are their Where's former Where's that restaurant up in Gurney? So it's right next to Gurney Mills on Grand Avenue. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so. what... what I haven't been to Mission Barbecue, but what, oh. what are they known for? Like what, <laughs> if I was to walk in there, what do you recommend and I get? I always just get straight, simple, the pulled pork. Not yeah. even on the on the sandwich, just the meat, the really? pulled pork. Yeah. Okay. But they, they have their classics, you know, potato salad, the baked beans. I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do seasonal desserts like cobbler. But there is one thing about Mission Barbecue that I could completely respect and get behind when they... Um, that noon. Oh, is that noon? At noon every day. So they all have all their store locations have a flagpole out front. And at noon, they do the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, everything awesome stops. So the restaurant stops. Right. Everybody stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's so cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they've been a wonderful supporter. Um, I can't say enough about them. So we usually get a, a check from them, from their cups proceeds, about twice a year. And every little bit helps. So they've been wonderful. Nice. And they will also, if we're doing a gifting and there's one of their stores in the local area, then they will give us gift baskets and things that we can also contribute. Those guys are really knocking out of the park for you, huh? They work for us. Good, yeah. for, good for those guys. <laughs> Everybody go to Mission Barbecue. Thank you. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I just, Shannon has some 
positive things came out of Russ's cancer, really paying it forward, moving forward. But uh, Jen, anything that really happened that was positive in your situation? That's a tough one. It, it is a tough one. I really think that, um, you know, he set me up to be successful. You know, I was ready to leave the fire service. I just wanted to be home with him. And he sent me back to a job that not only I truly love, but I need. I needed that job. I needed the, the financial because Dave was only on the job 10 years. Um, and Rosemont had, it was either line of duty or it was 50%. And, I mean, I'm so grateful for the insurance, but the pension I get would not have been enough for us. So for him to know me well enough to put me in a position to support myself and my daughter, um, I'm so grateful to him that he really planned out the rest of my life, you know. He brought so much awareness to such a small community, um, you know, they, they they all, one Christmas, they all walked down the street, Christmas caroling with uh, Santa hats on. And when they got to our house, they took their hats off and they had all shaved their heads for him. So the newspaper had covered, it was called a shave for Dave. And I think the love and support of that community um, has just really changed our lives. For I mean, Alyssa has taken so many men in that area and made her dad you know, she picked the, her Disney dad was this one, and this one was her disciplinarian, and they've all, they've embraced us, and, and just taken care of us to this day, and, you know, Dave was diagnosed in 98, he's been gone since 04, and, you know, keeping his memory alive, I think was so important to my daughter, and, and it has, you know, they remember her, even if, they remember her dad, even if it's just the picture on the wall, they remember who 1451 that was his number, and that's always like our number with everything. And I think that has to be the positive. And also just me being able to, the guy on our department that has a very similar cancer to Dave, just being able to understand and take him aside and say, listen, I, I kind of know, you know, the, the path, our paths may be similar, they're very different, but I know this road. And just to help other people with their struggles with cancer and to reach out and, you know, so... I think that's the, you have to take some positive out of it or else it'll just overwhelm you. Yeah. You have to find something, some good that came out of everything. What about you? Yeah, I, I would say something similar. You know, I think when you have, I mean, like. You, ha you have the ultimate positive. I do, I do <laughs> have the ultimate, and a different perspective, right, yeah. on life, which is not, it's easy to get wrapped up in your day-to-day, -day, you know, we have all these things to do, but just every now and then, we come back and just, you know, really are have a different perspective about how lucky we are to be here. And I would just say the the biggest positive is I think I'm able to be such a better friend to people going through something now that I've been through something. You know, you just learn a different way of being able to sort of like be in that grief with someone, whatever it is they're going through. Um, and, you know, as the older you get, the more stuff happens. And so my group of friends have all had their various things that have gone down. And I think I've been able to sort of pay it back um, from a friend by whether it's, you know, um, you know, helping them with meals or just sitting and whatever it is that they're going through with them to be that support system, which is really good. Did you find that, like, people, like, they didn't want to talk to you about, they're yes. like, you're going through yeah. so much. I'm like, listen, just because my shit is so much more doesn't mean that yours <laughs> no. doesn't matter. Yeah, totally. You know? totally. So I think that was another thing, too, is that you just, 
you know, I wanted to hear their problems because mm-hmm. I didn't want to always deal with, and you don't want to always talk about it too, you know, yeah. and people don't know what to say to you. They don't. And I sometimes mean, they avoid you. I mean, that's a yeah. very small minority, but I think it's fair to point out that sometimes if somebody drops off on yeah. you, it's probably because they just don't know what to say yeah. or they're I, I can scared. attribute that 100%. Yeah. That I just don't know where my place is. I know that people who are closer are taking care mm-hmm. of certain things. I don't know where my place is in this. I would say if, if you aren't sure, depending on what, you know, degree of circle, you know, what your friendship or family circle is, um, send any cards in the mail. Yeah. Just drop a note. I was going to say a text, text, a card, just a thinking on you. my mind, thinking of you, yeah. hope all is well, no need to respond. It is amazing to get you know? that yep. random card. Like it really if you're is. having a crappy day. <laughs> Yeah. And then the mail, there's some nice gesture from somebody, and it's like, oh, okay. Because yeah. it's so isolating when you're going through this experience, yeah. and you're just in it so heavily. Cancer takes over. It does. It, it defines you. Life. It takes over your whole life. You don't want to be defined by so that. So the ultimate thing would be a card with a gift card. In. Oh, that would <laughs> sure. be perfect. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Uh, yes. All right. Well, I think we got. The and solution. if you can, if you can, like, have lunch with them too. I mean, I would have loved. Take them out. I would have loved to just like be with someone physically at that time. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, this is this is good information because yeah. it's the little stuff. I mean, our slogan, right, is for love of family and brotherhood. That's actually what I have on Russ's gravestone. That's where it comes from. And we take that very seriously. We do all our giftings in person. We stay connected. We're actually trying to create a peer mentoring program. Um, that's another conversation, how to get that going. Um, trying to pair up with the AFFI on that one if they're listening. Well, we, <laughs> we can facilitate that for you. We can. So we're, you know, but the, the connection and the support, um, it's a family. And, and the fire service is a family, and that is very true. And while there might be different politics at different departments, you know, that's kind of over their heads, too. That's not always up to them. And so I think just that connection, we know that there's politics. Some in this room, you know, you get the pension, you don't get the pension. How much is the pension? You know, there's a lot of political fighting happening around that, too, which is a touchy subject. But we can say, you know, two of us sitting here are receiving pensions. Mine's not enough either to have kept the house and to stay in the manner in which my children were accustomed. Sure. I still work full-time, didn't have enough to, pu- to pay off the house. So you have to have enough, you know, life insurance. You have to know what your benefits are. You know, we had Aflac. That's another thing. Oh, we did have that too. Yeah. yeah. So rec- Aflac recommending? Yeah. It worked. It did. And I, I was I, like... I'm a, not a paid spokesperson. I, I was a Debbie Downer on it too. I was like, you don't need that. Another but bill. I was, another cut out of your paycheck. Yeah, but, but it, I was wrong. It helped. It helped. It did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So thumbs up for Aflac. Yeah. <laughs> Aflac, if you're listening, uh, sponsorship for Shield <laughs> yeah. 23. That would yeah. be amazing. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and I, I appreciate Vince. I guess I just want to say this too, that I know that this is probably not one of the sexiest podcasts you guys are going to have. <laughs> no. Because even though we're all lovely women. Now, you say that, but have you seen our guests on here? You guys are you guys are far above what we'll we've had to, in here in the we'll past. We'll have to get so. our group photo. But, um, but, I, but one of the things that we sometimes have to battle is we know they're talking about cancer. And unfortunately, you know, for some of us, it doesn't have the happiest ending. But we are always behind the ones who do. And... Um, so it's a tough topic. It's not the sexiest, easiest topic. And, um, but this is, this is the other side. This is important for the firefighters, men and women, brothers and sisters, who have families, um, 
we don't want you here. Nope. Don't <laughs> join don't our want club. You, like, do not join this club. Survivors Club, yes. Yeah, you can join. But we don't want you to have to go through it in the first place. Yeah. And we don't clearly know the direct cause and effect yet with cancer in the fire service, but the numbers, I mean, the numbers now exceed line of duty death. And we can't get it figured out politically. Is it a line of duty death? It's still an active duty death, unless an individual municipality decides to do it on their own. And there have been a few that have acknowledged it as an LODD. But mine wasn't, and yours wasn't. So, you know, there's financial implications. You know, we're a family, and we hope that moving forward that can improve and get stronger and really figure out what to do about this thing called cancer in the fire service. We would love to go out of business someday. <laughs> like, there is no more cancer in the fire service that we can relate to the job. So that would be the goal. Okay. So one more time, how people, so people can also just donate to you and you can donate on the website. Are you a um, 501c? 501c. Absolutely. Yep. We have a lawyer on our board and she made sure that we had all of our our ducks in a row. They can, people can uh, go to your website, get a hold of you. They can uh, send money to you. um, Could do that all on the website. Can also do it through the Facebook page. Okay. We are always happy to participate. Um, a lot of departments now will name us as a beneficiary if they're doing their own fundraisers. So um, if they have golf outings, softball outings, um, Oswego did their um, softball tournament, and we were beneficiary of that. That That is a wonderful way to just kind of help us yeah. out. Um, there's only so many of us, so I try to make it to all of them that I can. Um, we try to be very hands-on and in-person, um, so that's always helpful, too. Yeah. We just sent you some money from... Uh, the yes. Bears tickets yes. and other goofy stuff that we did. So. <laughs> uh, we appreciate w- anybody thinking of us because <laughs> we turn it around. None of us, I mean, none of us gets paid. Completely charitable. Um, we all still work our jobs <laughs> I think and do this on the side. I don't think you have to explain that. I think we all know. Well, it's important. Uh, give, give your cell phone number out one more time. 847-613-5116. Any last words, guys? Any last yeah, here's our soapbox. What would you guys like everybody to know? Did we miss anything? I don't think anything we missed that anything. you guys could. I think we missed. Anything. I, I just hope that some of these younger guys that are coming in, yeah. you know, they're so excited to be on the job. And like I said, my partners are tw- early twenties, and you try to bring this awareness because we live in a. It'll never happen to me. Yeah. And here we are. You know, my husband was young, as was yours, and and they were young, and it still happens. Yeah. So we have to be advocates. And, you know, telling these guys, listen, wash your gear, everything like that, and just be more aware and get that life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. AFLAC, I'm like, it's an extra insurance policy. Yeah. And, and as you get older, you know, I save my sick days. You know, I'm going. Oh, yeah, the sick days, that did help fun. us a ton because he had banked, you know, months of sick days at that point. But, yeah, just taking your health seriously, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen to you, but it, it could. And, you know, to just be aware of, you know, taking care of yourself the best so you I can. I think Ryan's a great advocate, you know, working for a union department, and he's just turned 27. And, you know, he's the example. He will go out there and happy to talk to departments. We do an outreach program as well. So if we have departments that want to learn more about what we do and sharing the education, uh, Ryan and there's actually three firefighters on our board. One's retired. Um, so two active firefighters. So we send them out there. They'll be happy to go. 
um, talk to union meetings, go talk to the department and say, hey, this is what we learned the hard way. We don't want you guys to have to learn it the way we had to. Thank you guys so much for spending time and um, talking to us about uh, cancer in the sexiest way you can. <laughs> so that's Chicago's Bravest Stories. Thank you, Sarah, Jen, Shannon. Thank you for coming in. And everybody uh, support Shield 23 and Mission Barbecue, which has been a super big help to you guys. Yes. Visit the Facebook page, visit the website, and call Shannon on her cell phone with any questions, <laughs> any time of day. <laughs> so thank you guys for coming in. Thank, thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Thank that you for letting us uh, share. Chicago's Bravest Stories during the Air and Water Show. Yes. You guys heard the Jets fly. So thank you guys. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations. Chicago's Bravest Stories is also brought to you by Illuminated Brew Works, located at 6186 North, Northwest Highway, next to the car wash. This place, obviously, one of our favorite joints. Uh, you, you guys can make sure to uh, find them on their website, ibw-chicago.com. Illuminated Brew Works, ibw-chicago.com.